Hello and welcome back to our final episode of this series of the Marie Keating Foundation Talks Cancer podcast. For our last episode in the series, we have the distinct privilege and pleasure of speaking to lung cancer survivor Miriam Payne about her experience with the disease, the stigma she felt around her diagnosis and how not only one, but two lung cancer diagnoses have changed her life. Miriam, it's a great pleasure to have you with us today at the Marie Keating Foundation Talking Lung Cancer podcast. You know, it's so important to have your voice and and for our listeners to hear it. Um, You have a great story to tell. I know it hasn't been an easy journey, but you're here to tell that story and that's what's really important. Um, So Miriam, I know that you are no ordinary nana. (laughs) I'm I'm looking at you here with bright purple hair, which which I think is very, very... um, um, inspiring <laughs> piercings and some tattoos even. But it's, you know, it's your quite determination, I think, and your sense of humour that really makes you stand out here. Um, I know you're a mother of three girls and a grandmother to three grandchildren. You're a hairdresser um, and and you also participate in the dip in the nip, which is fun, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're a member of the Sea of Change Choir. Um, but more importantly for today, you're a lung cancer survivor. Um, really important. We know that, you know, survival rates for lung cancer are actually a problem for us in Ireland and and around the world. But you're here today to tell your story and we're here to listen. So I'm going to hand over to you and tell me how all this happened. OK, hi, how's it going? Um, I have epilepsy. So basically, you know, having another illness makes no odds to lung cancer. I had no symptoms no cough, no wheeze, you know, worked in hairdressing. So if there'd been a problem, I would have, it would come up when you're colouring or bleaching. Anyway, um, had a bad seizure and got an, ended up with my local doctor um, who kind of was like very keen to get me to Bowmount. Uh, straight away, me, I was like, no, if I go there, they won't let me out. So she said, go to NACE, which I did. I was happy enough. Um and was kind of hoped to be only there for a day or two, ended up for three. So because of being there, there was an amazing doctor. She was somebody that was covering. And she just said to me, right, Miriam, I'm going to do an MOT while I'm there. She's kind of keeping in touch with Bowmount and what to do. And I was, I said I was feeling better and said to her, I'm ready to go home. And she said to me, uh, we found a shadow on your lung. So initially, I kind of thought, well, you know, it's hairdressing. I'm 35 years at it back then. Um, you know, the fumes were so much stronger and permanent and whatever. So didn't get overly upset. And she she was just amazing from the very start. Um, basically, it came down to if I had, you know, gone to Beaumont, uh, you would have just had a brain scan. They wouldn't have checked the full chest scan or anything like that. So, yeah, I was meant to go there. Um, and from there, then she recommended going to James's, having tests done and getting a biopsy. Um, she At this stage, she had done a second um, X-ray and the whole M- MRI, everything up close. So there was something. Uh, then I 
kind of still didn't think. I was thinking, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I'd heard about scars and stuff like mm. that, shadows. And I thought, well, it has to be that. I've no, I said, again, no mm-hmm. symptoms at all. Um, And a couple of weeks later, I'd had the biopsy and whatever. And I got a phone call and I still remember I was in Lucan. Um, having, I love walking, so I was walking around the domain and nurse rang me and she said, we have your results and whatever and just again meeting, you know, getting very lucky with another lovely lady and I said to her, you know, tell me because I can't handle this any longer. So she said, not supposed to, but I'll tell you and she said, Mary, you have cancer. So my initial was Oh, you know, mm-hmm. um, I suppose I'm going to have to tell my mother. Um, my mom has been brilliant because of brain surgery and whatever. She just steps in and minds my children. And that was my initial. And then I thought, how am I going to get home? So rang my sister-in-law who lived in Lucan and said, come and get me. She did. And she brought me home. And still, I hadn't said the word out loud. It was like, I know. And I was still expecting them to ring me and say, there's been a mistake. Mm. So it kind of went from there. Um, my initial thing was um, when outside my family, I had to get in touch with the girls. Obviously, I worked with And it was, oh, you must have been a smoker. Like, okay. That was the first reaction. That was the first reaction. Okay, well, um, talk a little bit about that, because one of the things, some of the things I've picked up from you so far, Miriam, is that you were very frightened. Yeah. Um, And then you you were left in limbo a little bit because you didn't really know, you know, you were told that you had cancer, but but um, um, it wasn't kind of formally, I I suppose, explained to you. Um, You started thinking about the practicalities almost of how how am I going to get home? And then that whole acceptance. And on top of all that... Um, you, you know, you had other feelings going on. I did, I suppose. Yeah, now that you say it that way, I still kind of thought they got it wrong. No. Mm. And to be told with no other, you know, no sane appointment, whatever. No, as I said, she was a really nice woman. Um, and it wasn't until I said it out loud to my mom, I suddenly thought, wow, OK, this is. Um, and yet at the back of my mind, I thought, nah, do you know what? It's something small. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then kind of, I said, the initial stigma is my mm-hmm. word on lung cancer. Um, and I still didn't know, big, small, what was going to happen. Um, but I said it was, my brain was going, who do I say to? I have to say it to my children. Now, as I said, I'm 35 years hairdressing. So straight away, yes, I did smoke. But back then it was all about smoking to stay skinny. Mm-hmm. That's what women did. You know, it stopped you eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I I suppose as time went on, um, when people did find out and you just, well, personally, I went into this big spiel of, well, I'm hairdressing and customers out front had an ashtray, which every customer did. And they mm-hmm. were smoking while you were yeah. working. Um, and the fumes then from perms and colours were just unbelievable. Yeah. So, and you'd go into all of this and that was it. So you were trying to explain to people and rationalise 
um, their thoughts and their um, in their minds why you got cancer. Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't all about smoking. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. Um, uh, and then kind of next, I, only, I had a few days and then I had to go into James's and meet the doctor. Um, and I thought, I'm going in on my own, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell the family dates or anything, just went in. Um, lovely, lovely man. And he just said to me, yeah, he said, look, I won't know until I go in. Um, it was on my right lung. So he said to me, which is good because you have an extra lobe <laughs> on the right and the left. I thought, oh, yes, Grant. Um, and I went in and he said to me, yeah. He said, look, I'm going to just go in. I'm hoping to do a keyhole. I won't not like it in there. So then you go off for your radiation, as I call it, you know, where they put the, the colour into you to check that it's nowhere else in the body. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and still at this stage, I suppose I was still thinking, nah, they got it wrong, you know, because I had no symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so all along, and then kind of things moved quicker. Um, they were brilliant in James's. Uh, now, this is coming up to six years in November. And um, they went in and the usual, I'm like, yes, yeah, this tiny little thing, you know. They'll take it out and whatever. And I did. I made a joke of it because it's money, my way of kind of dealing with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, I have a tattoo on my back. Don't wreck it. You know, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff like that. And all my piercings. OK, I'm going to have to take them out. God, I hope they fit back in again. <laughs> and yeah, he's looking at me thinking, what is going on with this one? So I woke up and... He came along and he said to me, the keyhole didn't work. We had to go in. And just just to clarify, Miriam, when you talk about keyhole, you're talking about keyhole surgery, aren't you? Yes. Like to remove part the, part of a lobe from your... Like yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. they don't have to move ribs or anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now we did, you know, they were great. They were saying it's come along so far. Like years ago, they would have had to break your ribs to get in and get mm. this now. Um, so, yeah, basically when I woke up, um, he said, no, we had to actually cut you open. There was more. So, yeah, I I ended up with one and a half lobes out of the okay. the right side. Mm-hmm. Thought, yeah, that's OK. Um, and I'm very lucky in as far as in my head, I was like, right, my goal is me bike. Now, it's a big jalopy. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a racing bike. But it gets me around because of I'm not allowed to drive, obviously, with okay. um, the epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal. Get back on the bike, get me shopping, whatever. Um, and as days went on, I suddenly thought, oh, you know, it's getting very near Christmas. And I'm a big Christmas person. <laughs> and the real tree and this started going on. I have so much to get. And so I suppose in a lot of ways it was great because... Not saying it was great getting lung cancer, but at the time, so much to think about. So you're looking forward to to the recovery, and and um, you were, you know, your goals were Christmas and getting back on your bike. Yeah. So you were you were fairly positive about you know recovering from this lung cancer. Well, I was very determined. Very determined. Yeah. I was like, this is not getting me. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Yeah. So I did. I got home, um, and my kids were there, um, and I'm like. Don't fuss. I'm fine. 
but one of the funny things is I have to tell you is this. I had um, I had to got the morphine patches mm -hmm. and because I had a few different spots around where they were cut and uh, different puts in, I thought, right, I'll cut up the morphine patches because in my head I'm thinking, I don't want these things slapped all over me. So I'm cutting them up and putting them in the four places. And anyway, it turned out uh, the local chemist woman, she came up and she said to me, you do realise you're giving yourself four lots of morphine instead of one patch. <laughs> I'm like, OK. Um, determined to get up the stairs, it was hard going. So tell me how, like, tell me how you were affected then by the surgery. So these are kind of like maybe short term effects after directly after surgery. To be honest, I'd had November's not a good month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the November before I'd had brain surgery with the epilepsy and the, one of my lobes chopped away, which you don't need. Um, so kind of having a year later, the lung cancer, I thought this is going to be a walk in the park. And I, again, the shock of, wow, this is not as easy as I thought. Um, but I, yeah, I'm one of them people. I'm just like, no. And, and what were you experiencing, Miriam? Like what in terms of like, uh, you know, effects I, on the surgery? Okay, getting up the likes of the stairs. Um, hard going, really was. Because I'd had, they do the physio in, in James's and that was done every day. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is grand. Um, and they had said to me, if you can climb a stairs. Now, as I said, I cycle. I do yoga three times a week. I do a bit of hiking. So I'm thinking, oh, no problem. Uh, walking down the stairs, no problem. And then she said to me, walk up it. And I just, I was in shock that it took so much out of me. Mm -hmm. um, so basically walking around like Darth Vader. And that took again. Um, I thought sure, once I get home, you know, it'll be easier. Your own bed, your own house. I'd be up and I was about. But it was like my body let go. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to push to get out of hospital because that was my goal then. You know, get out, I'll be better. Yeah. I went home and I wasn't. It was actually, mm -hmm. yeah, it was like kicking the teeth. Yeah, it's actually harder now. I don't know if I relaxed um, I hadn't to prove anything mm -hmm. in the hospital to get out. So, yeah, it was really yeah, like, hard going. You know, it's big surgery. It's, it's you know, chest thoracic surgery um, and um, and recovery time could be maybe six weeks to two months and more. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I fought that. Yeah. Um, but I started to, I suppose, cop on a lot thinking, right, you know, you can push it so far, mm -hmm. but you have to rein it in. And tell me, Miriam, did you have like, you know, effects like breathlessness um, when the winter comes? That, you know, does that affect how you are um, since you've had since you've had the surgery? Like, do you, you, obviously, everybody has to mind themselves these days, don't they? And particularly in wintertime, because yeah. you're more vulnerable. Um, Again, that was kind of I didn't think along them lines. Mm. And um, so we went from November and January, February, I'm thinking, you know, the pain had eased off. And suddenly I had this darting pain um, on the right side of my back and I couldn't figure out. So um, the in James's, they had given me a number and I rang and I was like, what's going on? Because I was great, you know, doing really good. Um, and they said to me, it's like... You know, this where your lung would have been, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So the bit that's there has to work twice as hard. But the cold, because you're breathing in and out much quicker. 
So that was a major shock that it was like going back nearly to hospital start mm. when to me I was doing brilliant. So again, another part of, ah, oh, here lads, you know, yeah. you stuck out the piece, you threw it in the bin and now. Okay, and I've learned as well, um, Miriam, that you had, you know, your your cancer came back again, didn't it? It did. Will you tell me a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I was grand. It's five, coming up to my fifth year um, with James's. Um, again, not a bother on me. I was grand flying around. I was back doing a bit of work. COVID, you know, had kind of obviously kept you in. I wasn't able to work as much. Um, so I wasn't out and about. No, I'd still go out on the bike. And um, so I went in for the checkup. And uh, after the checkup, you know, they normally you'd get the next appointment. Mm-hmm. And she, the, she didn't give me the next appointment. And I was like, you know, why? And that was grand. Off I went. Um, still kind of wondering why there was no appointment given. I thought, oh, it's probably because I'm at five years now. Don't need it mm, anymore. It's a milestone, you know? isn't it? Yeah. 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 And then I got a phone call about a week later and um, lovely uh, oncology nurse. And she just said to me, Miriam, we've found a small nodule, as she thought in the beginning, on the left lung. And I'm like, straight away I went, you're having a laugh. So I, no, I have to be honest. Um, I was from the smoking back in the 80s. I'd only have the odd one. Mm-hmm. And when she said it, the first thing I thought was, yeah, I need a cigarette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Stress. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't drank for years um, due to the epilepsy and medication. And it wasn't that. It was, yeah, I, I kind of... I initially felt I'm a healthy person. You know, I still do my bits and, you know, I'm finickety with food, but I make sure I take my fruit. And I thought, you know, there's these people going around, they drink, they take drugs, and there's not a bother on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't believe in, well, this is me, poor me. So again, it was just by chance. I was well over the initial surgery I was flying around on my bike, um, doing all my bits. Had again no symptoms. Okay, that's so, interesting, isn't it? No n- symptoms. No for... symptoms okay. at all. Like I was, I didn't even have. You know, I got over the even the, the pain mm-hmm. that had literally gone. I suppose that's something you know. Uh, as an oncology nurse, I see myself a lot. Like if your if your body isn't telling you that there's something wrong, you lose a bit of trust in it, don't you? To a degree, you think, yeah. why aren't you? Why aren't you telling me that there's something wrong here? Yeah, what's exactly. happening? You know, why second time round am I? Is this happening to me? Well, yeah, because I suppose, like again, no symptoms. But so come back to all my stuff that I would normally do. Mm. And I was, again, thinking, yeah. Now, I did read up this time on this nodule thing. Mm-hmm. And it stays small and whatever. Um, was Had to go and visit James's and met the surgeon. And <laughs> when I walked in and he came in and, you know, hi. And, of course, I just said to him, you know, it was COVID. Stay to your hair. Look at you. <laughs> you know, and kind of made a laugh about mm. that. And he said to me, it's very small. 
So what we're going to do is just keep an eye on it and measure and whatever. So I was like, deadly. This is, you know, this is brilliant. Mm. It's mm. not, you know, we don't have to do something straight away. So um, because it was coming up to Christmas, he had said, there's no point in doing scans around because they're hanging around Christmas. And so we waited till January. Um, in the meantime, I had given this one a name, uh, Johnny Depp. Okay, my tell hero. me about Johnny Depp. <laughs> well, Johnny Depp is the man for me. And I thought, right, this is Johnny Depp. He's, you know, visited and he's put a bit of COVID weight on. So we leave him sitting there. <laughs> I had even in my head pictured him and could see the outfit he was wearing. I thought, yeah, he's cool. Um, so a close friend, um, obviously I had to tell my family again. Mm. And straight away they were like, no, ma'am, you know, you've you've done you've done nothing this time and ah, it'll be grand. And I'm one of them people. It'll be grand. That's it. So went for the checkup mm -hmm. and he said to me, it has grown, but it's still quite small. So he gave me three options, which was brilliant. Uh, basically, I could, he said, we went in for surgery because it was nice and small and it was sitting on the top lobe of the left side. Um, he said it could end up being a huge surgery and causing more uh, damage. Mm. Um, the other option was uh, start treatment. And he said to me, you know, you're young and I said, yeah, I'm very healthy. <laughs> um, and he said, option three is to wait another three months. So I went straight in with option three. Okay. Um, and then when I came back, these are all my decisions. Mm. And I liked, I suppose, suddenly I had, even though this thing had come back, I had a bit of power this time over it. Yeah, and that's important, isn't it? So your consultant was actually, you know, informing you about everything and giving you options because he could. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And for a person that doesn't look up stuff, I did go home and look it up and... Yeah, kind of. It was more positive stuff this time because mm -hmm. it was small. But I suppose because it returning, um, they were brilliant, but they kept checking and checking. So then I had to go for the biopsy, which I still thought, I oh, know, you know, you're having a laugh. I've gone through it. I don't, you know. Um, and they were very good. They didn't hang around. They said to me, it's cancer and it has grown. So we're going to have to go in. Um, this time it was a kick in the teeth. And I did. Um, my garden is my happy place. If you've seen it, there's bikes hanging out of the shed and I paint walls. So I have to say I went out and I kicked everything in that garden. Um, and because, I suppose because it was my happy place, I'm like, I'll take it out on mm. the place that makes me calm. And I got so upset this time. Much Harder more. second time round, isn't it? I couldn't believe. Mm. And I was scared. First time I thought, no, no, this can be grand. The second time. Partly because I knew what would be happening. I never for one moment even thought about, oh, you're going to have less long. That never came into my head. It was more, it's okay, it's small this time, you know, and it'll be much easier and... Um, and yeah, I was upset and I was really, I just thought, 
you're having a laugh here, lads. Like, not poor me because I don't believe in it. You know, you get mm-hmm. up and you get on with it. Um, but just so again, I into James's and it, when I woke up after the surgery, my first thing was they have me in a private room. This is fabulous room, four beds. Forgetting totally about COVID, that everything was spaced out. Um, and the surgeon came along and he said to me, OK, we had to cut the whole top, top lobe away. So I'm like, ah, yeah, Grant. And he said, no, and a bit more. So I was sitting in the bed. Um, drains seemed to be in a lot quicker. I did get to talk to his team. They come around, as you know, and I had more questions this time. And I suppose a lot of them were like, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I get up and walk around now? Um, why have I got all these extra bits in that I d- didn't have the first time? So it was explained to me. Um, again, I suppose in my head, I didn't sleep great. Um, and I thought, OK, focus on the, my medication for my epilepsy. So I kept focusing, make sure they give to me at the right time and don't think about the, the mm. second cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bicycle in the ward and I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I cycle everywhere. And I, without the nurse's notice, and I crawled out of the bed day three and got on the bike and sat because you couldn't walk around yeah. with the COVID. Oh, yeah. I did probably two minutes say and I had to be helped off that bike and that upset me so much mm. I really thought you know um, and they they were great they came in and they explained to me look Miriam you have to remember you've now got barely half a lung left in your mm. body but I'm still determined so day four I asked them I said look can I have a little walk just to try the walking and I have to be honest, it was so painful, it was so hard, but I thought, no, you have, you're have, you not doing this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pushed it, but it's been, the second time has been a more learning that I know if I push it, the pain that kicks in, it took much longer to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, I've still, it was done in the end of June, I still haven't been able to get back on my bike. Okay, and I, but I, I've no doubt you will get back on your bike. <laughs> looking at you today, but like so, you know that's it's a difficult story, Miriam, in the sense that you know you've had lung cancer once and you recovered really well from it, and then you know you were diagnosed with a second um, cancer in your in your left lung, but you are here today. I am, and you and you look like you're recovering really well, <laughs> even though you're not back on your bike yet. But it's a re, you know, it's a really good story in the sense that you are here to tell it. Um, so I admire that in you, and and um, you're very inspirational. Um, I would, I would, um, I suppose one thing I would um, ask you is, one thing you have said actually is that you asked for help, and I think that is really, really important for listeners. You know, um, you you didn't have any signs and symptoms, which which again can can be unusual. 
Um, and in previous episodes, we've talked about signs and symptoms. So it's important to know and to remember that there are signs and symptoms, but it's also important to know that there may not be, you know, yeah. and uh, Dr. Naidu talks about that a little bit in, in her episode. Um, so it's always being alert to your body, isn't it? It is. Um, and the other thing where I've, I suppose I've been, I walked, they had said to me, mm. they would given me a chart, which again was all new this time. And, you know, start off with five minutes uh, walking. I pushed that. But again, I learned. Mm. I ended up having to lie down, which really didn't go down well with me. Um, but I stuck to what they had said. Um, again, the COVID thing, in one way it was helped, if that makes sense, because I didn't have to get out there. I didn't have to say anything. My family were really good. Um, my, you know, my kids helped me. That that was very hard because I was like, I'm the mammy here. Mm. I should be the strong one. Um, and yeah, I kept at it and at it, but it, I found, yeah, it was much more learning the second time that, you know, you can't push it, even though I was more determined mm. the second time than yeah. I was the first. One of the things that's tested me in a lot of ways, I, before the first uh, cancer, I used, I've done the dip in the nip mm. uh, for Avian's Pink Tie and Deirdre Featherston uh, came about a choir. Yeah. And so the first time after the cancer, that kind of helped. And the day I got the phone call was a very important day. But it was like, OK, I suddenly have friends that I can talk to. Now, in the two years I'm in this choir, the women are amazing. We don't get into the whole drama of cancer, which is great. I have friends, but it's not all about that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, kept it to myself the second time because I thought, oh, I had been out walking, doing my walk with the dog. And there was a couple of people ahead of me, didn't notice. And I was trying to keep it very quiet around the village. Um, uh, I'd been stopped once or twice. And, you know, you're trying not to do the, the mad breathing. And oh, I haven't seen you on your bike. And I'm saying, well, you know, COVID, the dog needs more walk. And, and um, But I heard these women anyway, and they just said, oh, I heard that hairdresser has cancer again. Did she not learn the first time? And I, I really got upset. Mm. And I thought, well, the stigma of the smoking was one thing. But to hear somebody saying something like that, I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Nobody deserves cancer. We know that. And no. So I suppose it comes back to having no symptoms. And no matter what people are going to say to you, you know, there always there's always going to be somebody say something yeah. with or without cancer. Mm. So that's what I'm learning. Um, the choir is now because of the COVID reason. We've getting back to that. Um, I went to Ian, who looks after us, and I had to say, look, you know, it's happened again. And Deirdre had kept him in touch, so he knew. So I said to him, um, there's a queue of people waiting to get into this choir. If, you know, I've less than half a lung now, I don't mind leaving 
if that's what you need. And he turned around and he said to me, who's going to do me hair? Because <laughs> I would spray different yeah. colours. And I have to be honest, it was the nicest thing that's, mm. it was, it really made me feel good. Yeah, and he was being, being very inclusive, which is what you need. And I think, you know, I mean, I, that's a really positive vibe maybe for us to kind of finish off on in mm. that you are, you know, you're part of um, the dip in the nip, which I think is a lot of fun. And I think a lot of people dye their hair for that occasion, don't they? They do. Yeah. And the choir has gone on. Mm. We've choir. we've been in so many. The Sea of Change is the name of the yeah. choir. Um, and at the moment, we're, uh, we've been asked to represent Ireland um, for the World Health Organization Cervical Cancer. Yeah. Um, now, Brilliant. I do find... Uh, you know, I will sing and move and whatever. I love dancing. After, you know, I might only practice for an hour. I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. So just, and again, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, it's my back and it's like where the lungs are. And I'm thinking, well, they're gone. So why should there be pain? So, yeah, these... And and I suppose those are questions you would need to, you know, pose to your um, your oncologist when you see them. And also, I suppose when we talk about pain, it's important for even our listeners to know that, you know, there is help out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you should always talk to your oncologist about any kind of symptoms you're having, you know, following any kind of treatments at any time. Yeah. Um, and there are cancer support centres, you know, locally in in every part of Ireland now. They're a really good resource to tap into in terms of just, you know, meeting people. Well, again, outside of COVID, I suppose, but they're beginning to open up meeting people, talking to people. But you've already done that for yourself, you know, in the dip in the nip and and the, the, the choir. So that's really important, I think, in terms of, you know, having a cancer, living after cancer, you know, getting into that new normal um, that people talk about. Um, but having that camaraderie ship and that space that it's safe for you, you don't necessarily have to talk about cancer. No. You're a survivor. I don't want to talk about yeah. it. It's, I don't want to be defined as that one that got the cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what was she at? Um, and yeah, and I think it's like, this is me as a person. So you get involved in stuff. You have you have backup always. Um, so it's basically get out there and live. And yeah. Well, Miriam, I really want to thank you for being with us today. You're a very strong um, ambassador for lung cancer. We know that um, you have you have shown, you know, determination. You're an inspiration um, and get back in that sea and get back <laughs> yeah. into that choir and sing your heart out. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's all for this series of the Marie Keating Foundation Talks Lung Cancer Podcast. A huge thank you to our wonderful patient Miriam Payne and to all our wonderful guest speakers for their time, expertise and commitment and to our sponsors AstraZeneca and Pfizer for making this series possible. We would also like to give a very warm thank you to you, our audience, for tuning in. To learn more about the early warning signs of lung cancer and our most recent awareness campaign, The Big Checkup, visit mariekeating.ie. Until next time, stay safe and well and thanks for listening.